Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. So officially, we are starting our series this year. Today, I've invited some amazing guests. Together, we'll be having a conversation, just an introduction on what biodiversity is, how it is linked to our survival, how biodiversity is linked to the food that we eat, the air that we breathe, how it is linked to our economies, development, basically, how do we develop? You know, at the same time, making sure that we protect our biodiversity. How is biodiversity linked in pharmaceuticals and also medicine that we basically need, especially at this particular time? We are talking about COVID-19. So please, Karibu Sana, welcome to the show. My name is Sophie Mbogwa. So thank you so much, Monifa and Ken, for coming through today. Let's start with an introduction. Let's start with the ladies first. Thank you very much. My name is Monifa Musasa. I'm from Malawi, and um, I've actually been doing a lot of policy work, biodiversity policy in particular, for the last 12 years, and I'm currently the vice chair for Africa for the IUCN Commission on Environment, Economic, and Social Policy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Monifer, for joining us today. Ken. Uh, my name is Ken. I am the Policy and Communications Coordinator at BioLife International. I also coordinate and lead our climate work around Africa in 26 um, African countries. I am Kenyan and I'm based in Nairobi, where the BioLife International Africa office is uh, located. Thank you so much, Ken and Monifer, for joining us today. I really appreciate So I thought this year we could actually start by talking about biodiversity. When we're talking about biodiversity, what are we talking about? So in simple terms, biodiversity is just the variety of life on Earth. So Mm -hmm. this is we're looking at the plants and animals, all kinds of life that you can find in a certain area or a certain place. But one thing that is very important is that we appreciate that all these uh, variety of life be it at different levels, they are all working together like a spider web and they are there when they work together like that. Now they balance our lives uh, and support human life as well. Yes, just to add that um, there are different levels of biodiversity. I think the ones that people are familiar with is the you know species diversity, the different types of animals and plants that you see. Even down in the villages, people can identify different plants that are used for this or other purpose, uh, different types of plants and birds. That is a species level. And then there is a variety within ecosystems. You know, you see different types of ecosystems as you drive around or as you walk from one place to another. At one point, you see forests. Another point, you see savannas, uh, mountains. So that provides diversity at the ecosystem level, which is important in that web of life that uh, Monifa has, has mentioned. Then there is a species diversity in the genetic makeup of living organi- organisms which is critically important because it's it's part of what helps them, for example, to adapt. That's how we get different types of particular species, and that's very important for for life. So when we we describe biodiversity, we need to describe it at all those levels and how they are linked, and then look at what is required to sustain biodiversity. Fantastic. So if I get you right, 
what you're saying is that when you're talking about biodiversity, we're looking into different areas. This could be within land, within waters. For example, in rivers, in oceans, we are talking of forests, we are talking of savannas, we are talking of drylands. Because sometimes you find um, in an ecosystem things like chameleons. You'll find um, fish in the ocean are different, you know, octopus and you know different stuff like that. We'll find some other funny things, living things within the forest when you're walking in the soil. You're talking about everything that is actually existing within an ecosystem that is helpful in for human beings' survival. Am I right? Precisely. And the survival of humanity is dependent on biodiversity. And therefore, we must identify what it is that threatens that biodiversity because then whatever threatens biodiversity threatens our own existence. If you look at the foods we eat, whether it is grains or fruit or other types of, you know, the, the fish in the ocean and the rivers, that is all, all, all biodiversity. And thinking about crops, that produce um, crop plants, putting aside the others that are not, do not produce crops. 80% of them require, for example, I mean, just as one, one example, require pollination. And if you think about the value of those crops that require pollination, the value is about 3 trillion, trillion US dollars. So we're talking about a huge contribution of biodiversity just in terms of pollination. You know, one aspect that comes uh, when you protect and preserve biodiversity. When you look at this web of life, how important is it in terms of economies for a country or and even for a, a community? Thank you very much. Actually, as Ken has said, we all depend entirely on biodiversity for us to survive in as much as we really do not appreciate it fully. But biodiversity is the foundation of human life, of our economic development, uh, and so on. Uh, Ken had earlier mentioned about uh, agricultural crops, pollinators, and so on. So for the agricultural sector to survive, it's all about biodiversity. From the plant itself, from the insects that would be required for it to pollinate, for it to mature, and everything else throughout the value chain. It's, it all depends on biodiversity. But also, you look at issues of water, food, issues of the air that we breathe, nutrition security, the medicines that are required for all these disease outbreaks that are out there, we've actually seen how the world has been affected by different types of diseases, but all the medicines, all the vaccine discoveries and everything, they all rely on biodiversity. So all these discoveries are actually in the microorganisms, the different species that all called biodiversity for our survival. Uh, I'll give an example. For example, in Kenya, you notice that the tourism industry is a very big industry. It's one of the main economic contributors to the main economy of the country and so on. That's all biodiversity. So without all that, then it means as human beings, we cannot survive. Economies will not thrive and therefore would say that actually biodiversity underpins human survival, but it also underpins economic well-being. If you look at it from the, the perspective of a city and think about our cities around Africa, whether you're talking about Nairobi, Dakar, uh, Johannesburg, Harare, Dar es Salaam, I mean, most of our cities, they depend on, on food and water and other services that are extracted and provided by healthy ecosystems that surround them. Again, giving the, the example of Kenya, Nairobi city, with the benefits of their Badeas and Mount Kenya, providing the water and the food. In fact, without those healthy ecosystems providing the water and the food, 
you would have no cities. So it's it's um, very often people think that scientists and conservationists want animals and plants protected and conserved for their own sake. But at the end of the day, it's about our own very own survival, as Monifa has said. It's about our, our economies. It's even about the future of our children. Absolutely. And I'm actually thinking, and Monifa has just mentioned actually medicines that we need, and especially during this time of COVID-19 pandemic. And actually, I remember sometimes back when I think the world was just coming up with a vaccine, was it Madagascar, the president, said that there was medication that Madagascar was coming up, um, it was plant-based. And I just want us to address in terms of looking how important the biodiversity is important because most of most of the time we'll think about forests, we'll think about the animals, but we forget the medicines that we require. And I remember actually way back sometimes when I was growing up and if you would just get sick and my grandmother would just, you know, or even we know there were some plants that we would rub on our skins or that we could actually just boil them, some roots and all that. And they were just easy and affordable. You just go to the forest and it still happens today and you get that medication. And not just that, the pharmaceutical industry, much of the products that are actually used coming from plants. Let's talk about that. Actually, I think one thing that we have not really appreciated much when it comes to, to the health sector or the pharmaceutical sector mm-hmm. is that they all depend on the uh, traditional knowledge that we have from biodiversity. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. You've rightly put it uh, that as growing up, our parents, our grandparents would literally take some plants, rub it on our skin or boil it and make us drink. It's from that knowledge that the pharmaceutical companies would then go and test that plant to see what active ingredient that is in that plant that is helping to heal such diseases. Mm-hmm. So there are different studies that happen for them then to understand what exactly is the ingredient in that plant. And that is what is being used to produce different types of medicine, be it cancer medicine, all these diseases that are there. And you've actually given an example of another medicine that was discovered in Madagascar during the COVID times that was believed to be uh, assisting people during that time. So actually, that's one thing that is very important about biodiversity is that it actually provides that active ingredient that pharmaceuticals require to produce medicine, vaccines, and all sorts of vitamins and all that Mm. for our survival. Yeah, indeed. I've noticed that even the pharmaceutical industry is now leaning towards natural products as opposed mm-hmm. to synthetic medicine. A recent example that I've seen is a cough syrups that uh, I think they are beginning to discover that the synthetic types are causing people problems, you know, nausea and vomiting and hypertension and, and things like that. And so if your doctor is careful and uh, attentive, he or she is not going to prescribe the usual cough syrups to either you, yourself or your children. They're going to recommend you know, those that are naturally extracted, uh, showing how important biodiversity is. And then the fact that when you use those natural products, like our grandparents and our forefathers did, then we are safer, we live longer, and we have fewer side, side effects. Yeah, very interesting. And protecting this indigenous knowledge. Yes, over the years, there's a lot of research that is done and actually documenting this knowledge. But I actually realized with the old guys, the, our grandfathers and our grandmothers, as you know, traditionally African knowledge was actually passed in terms of the word of mouth. Also find there's a lot of knowledge that old people have 
and as we grow we move to the cities and you know incorporate more in terms of other different kind of you know cultures are we still retaining this knowledge in terms of the indigenous knowledge that we have how are we protecting maybe examples that we've actually seen in, in Malawi and in Kenya or maybe the countries that we've actually worked in how are we protecting this indigenous knowledge so there are actually several ways that this indigenous knowledge um is being protected um at the international level actually under the convention on biological diversity we have um, a protocol which is called the nagoya protocol on access and benefit sharing so it looks at access to genetic resources but mm-hmm. also the uh, knowledge that is associated with it mm. so basically it's there to protect uh, the people that hold this knowledge but also to ensure that if anyone accesses that knowledge they are able to provide to ensure that the, the holders of such knowledge uh, benefit from it. Mm. So in different countries, in, in Malawi, for example, they've done um, several ways. They've put in place regulations to ensure that they're implementing this protocol. Mm-hmm. So they ensure that the local communities, the holders of this knowledge actually document it. And in other places, they will actually ensure that they patent it so that they know that this knowledge is for them and it comes from them. So whenever everybody uses it, they have to ensure that they acknowledge the source of that knowledge, but also ensure that whatever benefits that they get out of the use of that knowledge, the holders of such knowledge are compensated for it. I'll give an example of some type of fish that we have in Malawi called the cichlids, the mbuna species. They are only found in Lake Malawi and not anywhere else in the world. They are ornamental fish, but there are also other traditional uses that are being used in communities around it. Yeah. When one wants to get such fish in Malawi, they will first of all have to ensure that if they want to get any traditional knowledge that is associated to that, they will need to get prior consent from the holders of such knowledge and sit down and come up with agreed terms on how it's going to be used and on how such benefits are going to be used shared amongst the communities or the holders of such knowledge Mm. and therefore then you get a license from the government to allow you to then export such knowledge or use it in another country so first of all once you get into the country you need to seek for approval from the government and the Mm. things that the government will look at will be first of all is there prior informed consent from the holders of such knowledge so are the communities aware and are they allowing they are okay for them to provide such knowledge to you and two Mm -hmm. what are the agreed terms in terms of the use and how far you can use it and i think there's there's been always an issue that most of the time scientists would then publish or patent such knowledge so that Mm -hmm. then no one else would use it yeah so then all those are then specified in those agreed terms the mutually agreed terms so then the holders of such knowledge will then know that, okay, what we are sharing with you will be shared up until this end. Mm. If it goes beyond that, then that's already another agreed term or another license that will have to be given to you. And therefore, such approaches will then help to ensure that that knowledge is being protected, but also the holders are then getting the eco benefits from the use of the knowledge that they hold. And just to add that, I think there are, there are I mean, as Monifa says, there are, there are initiatives and there are frameworks uh, internationally that provide for that. 
But I think that preservation of Africa's indigenous knowledge, mm-hmm. the rate at which it's disappearing because uh, it's usually the, the elderly who holds most of this knowledge. So they need mm-hmm. to pass it on before they exit the scene. Uh, and I've seen initiatives where, for example, I uh, visited some communities in Taraka County where they, they're preserving you know, all the seeds they use. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they're sorghum, they're millet, the maize, everything. I mean, they, they, they have a very super efficient way of keeping it, sharing it. Well, I think the, the scale to which that is happening and the scale to which the application of the international protocols to help local people and when the researchers come and they, they want to get some of these things and use them for research. My, my view is that it's still small scale and a lot more can be done to to take it to the next level. I think we will discuss these issues further when we are talking about the Nagoya Protocol because then we are going to have a longer series and we're going to speak about these things and we're going to also, I'm going to visiting some communities and see how really they are benefiting from this and the whole thing about benefit sharing and making sure that we protect this knowledge and any, any knowledge that is actually when genetic materials or information that is coming from our communities in Africa is that they can, you know, they getting that compensation from it. I wanted us to bring two matters, I believe, that comes hand in hand, because the world over, there's been a lot of concentration in terms of talking about climate change and reducing of emissions, because I believe that we cannot tackle climate change and the world over cannot reduce the emissions if we really do not tackle the environmental problems, I believe that are the base for everything. And I just wanted you to bring up in terms of that relationship between climate change and biodiversity. How are they both linked? So I think we all know that climate change and the impacts are happening now. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to go to the science because it's, it's out there. And so when the impacts happen, landslide takes place in Rusizi, in, in Rwanda or Burundi then it's the local people that, 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 that get affected. Or there is flooding, flooding in the rivers or the, the lakes, or there is rising sea level in Mombasa or some other place. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that gets affected is the land on which, on which they depend. Mm-hmm. So the soil, the trees on which, you know, which is growing on, on them, the forests, for example. I mean, I've seen landslides that, that, landslides that, that go down with whole sections of you know, forest, farmland, so that in itself is damage to what underpins people's lives, people's livelihoods, and therefore biodiversity is damaged, is destroyed, and the people's livelihoods are affected. And the resilience towards climate change and ability to cope is reduced. So climate, on one hand, destabilizes elements of biodiversity, the ecosystems, the soils, the water, and on the other hand, pushes the people to the brink such that they are not able to cope uh, you know, with the climate. So even before we talk about emissions, hmm. the people are already affected. And therefore, responding to, to climate at that level, done properly at that level and scaled up across the globe, you're able to get it right. So then restoration then becomes one of the ways in which you can be able to, to help back the ecosystems bring back the ecosystem services, help people's livelihoods. And I think the whole issue of addressing emissions 
Monifa, before you answer, uh, and but Monifa, before you respond, I wanted you to actually, because then if you look at the IPCC report, the IPCC report was very clear that humans are the ones that have actually have contributed to the warming that we've actually seen. And what I want you to you know, just address and probably bring us to closer is just understanding in terms of how humans or how human beings impact the biodiversity, the things that we do, because we've already identified that we're talking about the land, we're talking about the trees, we're talking about the oceans, we're talking about whether we're in the source of savannah, basically everything, the bird species, um, the animal species, living and non-living, um, the search for genetic materials, the search for energy in terms of coal mining and all the kind of natural resources, when we destabilize that land or the ecosystem that we live in, at the end of the day, impacts us human being, but at the end of the day, also impacts the climate. So what are we doing in terms of humans and how are we impacting biodiversity in return, impacting the climate? All right. When there's biodiversity loss, when we don't have that diverse ecosystems, you don't have the species, you don't have the microorganisms, it means our biodiversity is not health. Mm-hmm. Health and uh, biodiverse ecosystems actually improve the ability of a system so as you know we say biodiversity is the variety of life it's a system so once that system is healthy enough it actually helps us to to adapt or be resilient to different disasters that arise out of climate change and therefore if the system is not healthy enough then it's making us more vulnerable to climate change and therefore then we get all these diseases that are coming in then uh, floods and so on, so people are not able to adapt to that. However, on the other side, when you look at the rising temperatures, the changes in, in rainfall, they actually shift animal movements or plants as well, the habitats change. So you find that there are so many new crops that are coming in, we call them invasive alien species, mm-hmm. that will then come and replace the normal crops that we have. And that actually affects the variety of plants that are in one area. The variety of plants in one area would actually help us to adapt to climate change. But when we have just one crop that is taking over, that is also going to uh, affect the system itself and its ability to help us adapt to climate change. We've looked at high temperatures resulting in warming of oceans and acidification. That Mm -hmm. actually also affects our economic well-being. Because the fisheries that we all depend on, large industries depend on, will then be affected. Pest and disease outbreaks as well. We've Mm. noticed, I come from an agricultural country. Malawi is actually an agricultural growing country. But with climate change, we've seen an increase in pest and diseases. And therefore, farmers have not really been able to, to cultivate as they used to. And, and we've really tried to adapt by bringing in different varieties of crops, either crop early maturing or late maturing, depending on how the temperatures are. But that has also increased the occurrence of pests and diseases that has actually affected uh, human life, that have actually affected the population of large. So there are actually so much that is happening because of climate change, but also how biodiversity has supported our livelihoods to ensure that we adapt or we mitigate the effects of climate change. Both of you addressed in terms of how climate change is actually affecting 
life basically food in different but i'm wondering also in terms of us as human beings the actions that you're doing what we're doing in terms of deforestation in terms of using a lot of fertilizers and stuff like that how do we affect biodiversity that in return affects the the climate the greatest uh, impact on biodiversity is anything that threatens to reduce that variety is a threat or is an enemy of biodiversity ah uh, say for example yes, as... overfishing right exactly um mm. you know overfishing or on agricultural land for example you having fewer and fewer uh, varieties as opposed mm. to have diversity that you know our parents and grandparents used to have on their farms and then there's the whole issue of uh, intensive agriculture where you you find you have to use a herbicide to, for this mm. a pesticide for that and you have to use a, a strongest pesticide because the pests are getting used to the to the pests that are being used. So there's so much that that human beings are doing especially you know in the ag- agricultural space that really really affects biodiversity. You know conversion all that intensification movement towards monoculture there is a the whole issue of uh, urbanization and natural areas getting destroyed wetlands getting uh, drained up because people think wetlands are wastelands our infrastructure projects and oil and gas uh, exploration and mining the building of airports and you know and railways and and roads and you know africa has a huge infrastructural plan all those development corridors all those super highways uh, i think they they're going to have a huge a huge impact on on biodiversity so we must think as a continent and we, we must think as a, a global community the extent to which we want to push our natural areas that contain our, our critical biodiversity is there a cut off point is there a red line that's, that tells us that you can't move beyond here we don't seem to have identified i we don't seem to have, to have identified that red line because i think we're going to if it is eating we may produce food and eat ourselves to extinction if it is flying and driving and taking the sgr do that to extend to our, our own extinction because when mm-hmm. these places and those species go extinct then who next i always wonder is there a way because then again we have to develop right but then uh, is there a way that countries or communities or africa itself can develop at the same time protecting its biodiversity and at the same time reducing its emissions um because we need roads right we you know we need that interconnection if you if you look at africa is a continent whereby it's a huge continent and it's a continent where like for example if you want to move from kenya to ghana it's very expensive and the route takes very long but we're looking at ways whereby we can actually have that interconnection you know and you're able to move from one place to another so that we're also able to trade among ourselves because look we are moving towards the afcfta and we need those roads and that's a reality if we need that interconnection and i always say that africa is a continent it has a right to develop and is it's a home to a huge biodiversity look at the congo you know look at the the vast mineral resources that we have but i'm wondering do we have a way whereby we can say all right we probably do not want to eat ourselves or develop ourselves to extension but um, you know to to where we have um our plants or animals or even us go to extinct 
But then we want to also develop. We want to build these roads. We want to build these airports. We want to ensure that we can, I can go to Malawi and just get into, you know, a train and go to Malawi and be able to meet this community that is actually having this fish and talk to them and see how they benefit from it and just jump back to Kenya without being really, it being a very long. But Monifa, how do we develop the same, you know, yes. Before, <laughs> <laughs> before, Monifa, before Monifa comes in, can I, can I just ask a rhetorical yes, question? Yes, please. Yes. I, I think those the, the questions you've asked are I mean yes I, I think they are they're very very important uh, but I think the question we, we need to ask ourselves mm-hmm. is how many roads are enough how many airports are enough to meet our needs how many SGRs and uh, those development corridors and ports you know how, how many do we need at the port of Dar es Salaam port Mombasa port, mm. Lamu port, mm. what port? I mean, I think that coast is going to be port and nothing else very soon. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how much is enough? So if we can't answer that question, we're going to eat ourselves to extinction. We're going to drive ourselves to extinction. We're going to fly ourselves to extinction. I think you see it's where by if that's why I think of the spirit of the Africa free trade area and thinking in terms of, we don't need all these sports and you know that if we work towards the spirits of coming together and thinking why why do Kenya need a port? Why do Tanzania need a port? Why do Uganda need a port? These are countries that are actually together within East Africa. How can we, if we have probably the right leadership and a leadership that is thinking in terms of togetherness and oneness, because it's also cost effective uh, in terms of having one port that all the countries can actually use. But then again, of course, it goes into the geopolitics, it goes into the funding and who is funding this these particular ports and also in terms of the interest for the country. But I, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, we start thinking in terms of the AFCFTA spirit in terms of where do we want to go together as one and how far can we actually go as, as, as one. But then again, I think that works a lot in terms of geopolitics, individual countries, politics of the countries and where the country wants to go, the leadership that is at that particular point. And that's why for me, I keep asking, can we be able to develop and at the same time look into, you know, not being selfish and actually looking into the spirits of Africa and coming together as a continent and Wondering in terms of how far can we go in terms of trading together? Because for me, uh, Ken, if we have these roads, it actually looks into, we have African fabrics in, in, in West Africa. We have amazing fabrics in Senegal. We have amazing cotton in Egypt. And when you come to Kenya, we are getting a lot of China fabrics. African fabric that is coming from China. But I'm seeing a lot of um, opportunities in terms of that we can trade. And even if you have, instead of having a road, we can have a rail, you know, railway that opens up, you know, these countries. And we can, for me, I see an opportunity for trade. But then again, that's a place where as we do these railways and we do these roads and stuff like that, we will have more biodiversity loss. That is something that we cannot really avoid. But is there a way that we can say, you know, we, we want to grow as a continent and we want to come together and be able to actually trade among each other and be able to do, instead of having so many ports, we can have, you know, this port of Mombasa can be able to be used by another country and stuff like that. Is there a way? Yes, I think there is. Mm-hmm. Actually, it, the understanding that there is actually a way should start from one understanding that development and biodiversity are linked. Mm. And therefore, one cannot go without the other. 
<laughs> I had actually mentioned earlier on about the need for health and biodiverse ecosystems that would help us uh, to adapt to climate change or to improve the system's ability to provide the services that we need. Mm-hmm. And one of the services that we've actually discussed earlier on is about economic prosperity. Economic mm-hmm. prosperity will actually help us to develop and, and so on. So the, there is a way, mm-hmm. but that way would actually, we will find it if we understand that these things are actually intertwined, that they are linked. You cannot achieve one and uh, destroy the other or think that the other will take you to the other end and be a happy person. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're actually in life, not just about the environment, but on other things as well. They're mm-hmm. actually trade-offs. Sure. Mm. You actually look at, okay, what am I going to achieve and how is this going to help me? What am I going to lose and how am I going to compensate for that? So mm-hmm. in in life, they're actually trade-offs and you actually have to see, to look at what is it that I need most and what is it that I need to uh, compromise but by the end of the day, how do I ensure that I I bring both of the things together with me for me to have a happy life? If we think more of development and disregard biodiversity and disregard conservation, mm. we'll end up being developed at the expense of someone else. And mm. I think this is something that is actually being discussed under climate change. Where mm. now developing countries are feeling that they are actually suffering on behalf of others. But now learning from such instances, how do we ensure that we're developing as well as also ensuring that we're having health and biodiverse ecosystems? There have actually been several um, concepts that have been developed, others still being tested, others have been tested that are looking at, okay, how do we ensure that we're developing? How do we ensure that we're making use of the mines that we have, some of them are in protected areas, some of them are not. But how do we ensure that in as much as we are accessing such, we're continuing to conserve other highly biodiverse areas to ensure Mm -hmm. that we're able to have fully functioning systems that Mm -hmm. will support our livelihoods. So I think the way that is there for us to ensure that we're meeting both needs is to take them together, integrate them, and mm-hmm. move forward with them so that we live uh, a happier life. Mm, great. Ken, do you want to add something? Yeah, I think I think Monifa said everything. If you think that you can move with one and w- without the other, then you find along the way that, wow, I think I needed this. I'm thinking about, for example, the development corridors that, that are proposed across mm-hmm. the continent. Mm-hmm. What are those routes that can uh, have the least impact mm-hmm. on biodiversity that can help the most number of countries and the, the largest number of Africans, uh, citizens, and at the same time connect connect them. That means you you have a lesser impact on biodiversity. You have a, a development corridor that that is connecting, let's say, from from the east to the, to the west of Africa or from the south to the north. And you know, if you think about the numbers that have been supported and connected at at the same time, it is big enough as opposed to having one there, another one moving from north to, north to south, southwest to southeast, just because this one has money from, from China, the other one has money from Germany, the other one has money from America. That approach should take us where Monifa is warning us not to go. Mm. I always say that Africa has to get to a point where 
African nations basically has to get to a point where individually we probably first have to define what development is for us because then if we define and understand what development means for us without where our development is defined or led by who is giving us money that you have to develop a road uh, because there's money here I think if we define what our development means it becomes easier for us to actually uh, move towards that development and also protect the ecosystem that we have and probably live in harmony with that nature because we actually have talked about it's very important for both of us to survive together in terms of nature and humans and also making sure that uh, the earth doesn't heat up so much and to a place that we're not able to live so I really want to end this conversation but it's beautiful I wish I didn't have to but I just <laughs> I realized that we have um, time has really gone so fast and there was a lot to talk about but I just want to give each one of you a moment to just basically give us your final word uh, all right thank you so much and uh, i think thank you for giving us this opportunity to discuss issues that are actually not discussed mainly in spaces where uh people not that are not conservationists are you find mm-hmm. that as conservationists we'll sit down and just talk to each other and yeah. would really understand each other but mm-hmm. in other spaces people do not really engage in such uh, discussions and we fail to convince others for example mm-hmm. the, the issue that we've just finished on development and, and conservation yeah so we fail to provide uh, the reasoning behind why we still need to conserve why we develop or why biodiversity is important so that people should still take care of it. So I think um, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity and I hope we provided some of the most important answers that people out there are looking out for. So thank you Mm. so much for that. Thank you so much too for coming. Monifer, Ken, please. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Sophie, for this opportunity. I think the biodiversity dialogue and discussion is not very strong out there. I participated in the, the COP27 and that dialogue on COP from COP27 went on beyond. In fact, I mean, some of the discussions are still ongoing up to, to, up to today. For example, mm-hmm. when they, they appointed the, the COP28 chair from, mm-hmm. from UAE, uh, mm-hmm. an oil magnet. Yeah. I mean, that was a big, that was a big thing. Yeah. Uh, but they, during COP, COP15, I think there was, there was a lot of, you know, of course, we know there was the World Cup. Uh, mm-hmm. which didn't didn't make things very I mean any better but mm-hmm. you didn't uh, the the vibe wasn't you didn't feel that strong vibe and people in the villages and in the you know the, the TV stations and and radio stations and in the streets discussing what is what was happening at um, in Montreal so I think there's need for and and I think this is a very good start there's need for mm-hmm. for, for this kind of a discussion there's need for the ordinary people to understand what that biodiversity is about their lives it's not about the national parks and 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 the elephants and um, and, and the birds and, and the flamingos it's about their or their, their survival and it's linked to to climate and it's mm. linked to, to livelihoods and it's linked to to the economy so we're happy to uh, continue participating and providing links to others who can also come here and uh, give their perspectives thank you very much And thank you so much for that. I I, I totally agree with you. And I remember actually COP15 trailed actually COP27. Actually, when it came 
even even personally i was super tired i was like oh my god i want to i want to follow this and and i want to you know highlight tell my audience what's actually happening but i realized oh my god and yeah and and so basically this series so it starts from this end of january and we're going to have as long as that it takes because what i thought is that we need to start talking about them and bringing them together and just making sure that people understand you know we move in terms of biodiversity and climate because as we've spoken they actually interlinked and they are linked in terms of our survival and so i really want to thank you and say thank you thank thank you thank you thank you so much for coming and i'll call upon you during the series um so to just basically come back and all that and i just would want to encourage the audience if you have any question in terms of the issues that we spoken about or anything in terms of biodiversity please do send them through info at africaclimateconversations.com otherwise i will see you in two weeks time we will be visiting some communities doing some amazing work protecting biodiversity in kenya thank you so much for the time and i'm hoping that in future if i call upon you you'll be happy to come back sure thing. yes okay. thank, yes. You. thank you thank you Sophie. thank you monifa Yeah. Thank you. And from me, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Conversations. <laughs>